Well, good morning again, ARC. Good morning. Yeah, it's, it's good to be back home uh, with my family, with our family. Uh, again, for those of you all who may not know me, uh, my name is Joshua Rolak, and I'm uh, married to my beautiful wife, Jessica Rolak. Yeah, amen, amen. And we have a five-year-old son uh, named LJ, and as you heard in the earlier announcement, we have a baby girl coming this September, by God's grace. Amen. Amen. And I, I get the privilege and the joy uh, to pastor Congress Heights Community Church, which is a two-year-old church plant uh, that was planted through this congregation, through ARC. And so, again, thank you all for, for planting us. Thank you all for your partnership in the gospel. And I want to thank Pastor T and the rest of the elders and, and you, congregation, uh, for having me and having our church uh, here this morning. Uh, God has been really kind to us and shown himself again to continue to be faithful to us over these two years. And so with that, uh, let's turn to God's word. And so if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, I want to ask this question. I want to ask this question. What is God's purpose for the church? What is God's purpose for the church? As I was praying over what to preach over these last few weeks, uh, Ephesians 3 verse 10 kept coming to mind. And as I thought about it more, and as I think about our culture's view of the church, I became very concerned. I became very concerned as many in our culture don't think that there's any purpose in the church. That there's no purpose in what we're doing this morning and other faithful congregations doing this morning all over the world. I even think about how some of you may be this morning here in this congregation, in this church visiting, uh, may feel the same way. Or, or maybe even some here this morning uh, don't think that there's any purpose in the church. Maybe some of you here don't seem too excited about church. Or it's mad low on your list of priorities, or you think that church is boring, et cetera, et cetera. The list can go on and on, right? Wherever you fall in those categories, I want to show you from God's word, from this text this morning, what he thinks about his church and what the purpose of the church is. So before we dive in, let me ask God for his help again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you uh, for your fresh grace and your new mercies that uh, you've shown towards us this morning, this day. We thank you, O oh God, how you've already been moving, how you've already been working through uh, yeah, the singing of your word, through the praying of your word, through the reading of your word. And now uh, we pray through the preaching of your word. God, I pray as I pray at our church all the time. May your word do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. Hide me behind the cross. It's all about you. May you increase and may I decrease. I pray, God, that you would speak now from your word. 
and help us to listen and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians 3.10 reads as follows. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. So a little context on the book of Ephesians is that the apostle Paul is the author and he's writing to the church at Ephesus where Timothy, one of Paul's protégés, one of uh, the little homies he put in the headlock and discipled him, is the pastor. And so in the first three chapters of this book, Paul has been dropping beautiful doctrine or teachings about who God is and his glorious salvation. Then in the last three chapters of the book, uh, he is writing about how one ought to live in light of those teachings. So that's the way the, the book is broken down. And when we get to our text in chapter three, Paul explains uh, this mystery of the gospel that God has revealed to him and that he, Paul, has shared with the church at Ephesus. So in verse six, if you just look up, you'll see that Paul tells us there what the mystery is. What is that mystery? Look with me, it says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What this means is, at one point, Gentiles, which is non-Jews, which is pretty much all of us, non-Jews, didn't have the same access to God in the same way that the Jews did. This is what Paul spent time teasing out in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. I won't read all of them. I would encourage you to read it uh, after uh, the sermon or after the service this day. But listen to verses 12 through 13. Here's what it says. It says, remember that you, talking to the Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But, and that is the, man, that is a beautiful word there. But, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? This is what God has done. What Jesus has done is so dope. It's so amazing. He made a way for all people from all different backgrounds, from all different ethnicities and races to experience salvation in him. He made us one in him and one with one another. This is what God has done. It's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. So if I had to summarize Ephesians 3.10, it may go something like this. So for those of you who are taking notes, here's the main point. God's wisdom in salvation has been made known to us and is being made known through us to the heavenly beings. This is the main point. Again, I'll say it again. God's wisdom in salvation has been made known to us and is being made known through us to the heavenly beings. So this main idea broken down will serve as our two points this morning. Here they are. Number one, God's wisdom and salvation made known to us. Number two, 
God's wisdom and salvation made known through us to the heavenly beings. Let's look at the first one together. God's wisdom and salvation made known to us. Look back with me at Ephesians 3.10. Here's what it reads. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. I'll stop there. This implies that before he made this wisdom known to the heavenly beings, that he first made it known to human beings, to his people, to the church. So what is the church? And I know you guys have, I think, what, last year spent a whole year and, and have done this as a custom, uh, just walking through ecclesiology and what the church is, et cetera, et cetera. But what is the church? It's the people of God. Those who have saving faith in Jesus, who gather regularly to worship Jesus and rightly practice the biblical ordinance, ordinances, so the Lord's Supper and baptism. God made his manifold wisdom known to his people, to the church. This wisdom is multifaceted or has a rich variety and is multicolored, as two other translations puts it. Essentially, what this means is God's wisdom has many layers to it, has many sides to it. It's like if you were to hold up a diamond in the light, you'll see the beautiful array of colors just ricocheting off the light, showing many sides and many intricacies of the diamond at each turn. In a greater sense, so it is with God's manifold wisdom. At each turn, there's glory to behold. Glory to behold. And this is exactly what Paul gets at in Romans eleven thirty-three. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. This is God's wisdom, his glory. And we know this to be true in general, don't we? We, we know God's ways are higher than our ways, that his wisdom is unending and unlimited, whereas ours is limited. But God, in his kindness, when we are in need of wisdom, he says, just, just ask him and he will give it to us, right? James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. It's the type of wisdom when you're wondering to any high school graduates here in the room, wondering what college to attend, right? It's that type of wisdom uh, for any of us who are yeah, pursuing different job careers, what job to pursue, or a big family decision that you might have to make. Here's how the Oxford Dictionary defines wisdom. It says, the quality of having experience Knowledge and good judgment. The quality of being wise. This is what wisdom is. God's manifold wisdom has this side to it for sure. But in the context of this passage, Paul is unveiling something more specific. He's unveiling, he's displaying something more specific. What is that? Is that wisdom is about God's salvation through his son. This is what he's been putting the church at Ephesus on game. This is what Paul has been teasing out from the beginning of chapter 3, that in God's wisdom and grace, he has revealed his son 
to them, to us, and made both Jews and Gentiles one body through the gospel. This is what he's been making known. So you put this all together, and essentially what we learn is that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is God's manifold wisdom that's been made known to us. Paul says this exact thing in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 24, as Brother Kalechi read earlier before the sermon. It says here, verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and guess what? And the wisdom of God. This is who Jesus is. This is who he is. He is the wisdom of God. And this is the good news that every Christian here and around the world believed and was granted saving faith in Jesus. And it's the message that brought you into God's family, into the church. And it's this very same message that for anyone here under the sound of my voice who doesn't know the Lord can be made right with God. So the reality of it is, is that if you're here and you're not a Christian, the reality of it is, is that you were created in the image of God, just like every human being here in this room and around the world, but you are fallen. You have sinned against a holy, righteous God who, if he were to judge you in your sin, he would judge you swiftly and he would judge you rightly and you would be found guilty. And because of your guilty sentence, you will be sent away from his presence for all of eternity. But in God's mercy and in his kindness, he sends his son Jesus, who comes, who lives a perfect sinless life, who dies a death that you and I deserved on the cross, and was buried in the grave, but he didn't stay there long. On the third day, he was raised from the dead with all power and dominion, offering you life, me life. If you would turn from your sin, if you would buckle Yui and turn from your sin and turn to him by faith, by trust, by putting your eggs in his basket, you can be granted salvation, eternal life. And so I want to hold that out to you this morning. If you are not a Christian, I implore you, I plead with you, I beg you, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus by faith. Receive him today. May today be the day of salvation for you. If you would like to learn more about that, uh, yeah, talk to the elders after the service. Talk to the Christian friend who invited you this morning. I know it would be their joy to come talk to me after the service. It would be all of our joy to help you start your journey with the Lord. Amen? So that's, so that's God's wisdom in salvation that he has made known to us. And what mercy that he has made known to us. Amen? Amen. So that's number one. Here's number two. God's wisdom in salvation made known through us to the heavenly beings. Look back with me at Ephesians 3.10. It 
It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Again, we find God's mission statement for the church here. This is, this is his mission statement for the church. God has a purpose for his church, and that purpose is to display his manifold wisdom in salvation to his people. And now, as we see, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So scholars believe that the rulers and authorities here refer to good and bad heavenly beings. But as one scholar puts it, he says, the apostles' particular concern is obviously with hostile forces. I mean, Paul even spends time later in the book of Ephesians telling the church how to go to battle with these hostile forces. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then the verses to follow, he details God's weaponry and armor of choice to, to go to battle with these spiritual forces. But these angels and demonic forces see our salvation from a different vantage point than us believers, right? They're like the window shoppers looking at merchandise through a glass that they wish they could get, but they won't ever be able to. This is how they're, they're looking in. This is what Peter gets at when he speaks about the angels looking on at our salvation. It says here in 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Ah, I don't know if you caught that. The angels long to see, to know the salvation you and I have, church. They long to know what that looks like, what that means, what does that entail. The angels are, are looking on, but they can't see in the full picture like we can by God's grace. The demonic forces, on the other hand, see God's manifold wisdom as a threat. They see it as a threat. Them seeing what God has done in and through the church is a sign of their demise. They look on with fear and trembling. So we know this, that Satan and his demonic forces have already been defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. And the existence of the church tells them, it announces to them that their reign and their rule is coming to a full stop once and for all. Coming to a full stop. It will end. This echoes what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. What does he say? He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Saints, in the end, we win. In the end, well, we have already won. But in the end, we win. Flawless victory. Jesus is victorious. There's no one 
No one, nothing that can come against him, that can stand against our Savior. Satan has been defeated. All the rest of our enemies have been defeated. Sin, death, and the grave shall be no more. That is something to praise our God for. That he's relinquished. He's done away with all of our enemies. And one day, they will completely and fully be done away with. We long for that day, amen? So saints, God is doing it big in the church. He's doing something big in the church and through the church. There's more going on than our eyes can see. So if you're a part of the church, which means you are a Christian and that you are a part, a member of a church, one scholar puts it this way. He says, you are a part of a cosmic sermon that's being preached to the spiritual rulers and authorities. You're a part of a cosmic sermon that's being proclaimed, that's being heralded to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He continues to say, this wisdom is so great that God uses it to proclaim to the heavenly beings. His grace and glory are displayed in a diverse people, a many-colored fellowship, a multicultural and multi-ethnic fellowship who have been called, redeemed, forgiven, made alive, and united in Christ. The angelic hosts look on at the reconciling work of Christ, which is the model for the reconciling of the universe when everything in heaven and earth will be brought together in him. This is a beautiful thing. This is no small thing. This is nothing. This is not boring. What God is doing is not boring. It's amazing. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's majestic. It's humbling. To even think that he would choose us to be a part of that. To be a part of what he's doing in the world. To show his reconciling work to the world and to the heavenly beings. Let that sink in for a moment this morning. That we are a part of that. And God is using us weak, frail men and women, imperfect men and women for his glory. For the advancement of his gospel, locally and globally. This is no small thing. This is something to be excited about. This is something to be joyous about. God is up to something. It's a beautiful thing. If you find it that this seems out of touch for you, or not something you're interested in, my dear friend, you're in danger. You're in danger. You may not have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But you can. You can. So toward that end, I want to offer just two essential ways that we can apply this as we come to a close. Two essential ways that we can apply this as I come to a close. Non-Christian. Plead with God right now that he would open your eyes to this reality. 
that he would open your eyes to who he is and what he has done. Plead with him. Again, as, as we've been talking about throughout this sermon, my dear friend, you are in a danger zone. But you can come out of that danger zone by turning to Christ and relying upon him and becoming a part of the family of God so that you too can be living in what God has purposed for you through the church. I plead with you this morning to plead with God, to look to him, to seek him. And if you're here and you are a Christian, but maybe you've lost the fire for the church's purpose in your life, for whatever reason that might be, maybe the pandemic still, you know what I mean, the, the relics of the pandemic or whatever that might be, church hurt, whatever those things might be, I want to encourage you to do the same, to plead with God, to pray to God that he would give you a fresh and a higher view of his church and what he is doing through the church. And particularly, let me just speak briefly to those who may be yeah, struggling with church hurt. I'm sorry that that is you and that you are experiencing or have experienced those particular things. But I want to encourage you that the only way that you can, yeah, be healed from your church hurt is by being a part of the church. If everything that God uses to help us is found in him. So don't run from the church. Run to the church. Run to God and the church to find that healing, that encouragement, that peace that your soul truly needs. Run to God. And guess what? When you do, wherever you're coming from, whatever angle you're coming from, God is there with open arms, ready to welcome you, ready to love you, ready to help you, to encourage you. Run to him. May we all do that. May we all run to him. May we all continue to look to him. In conclusion, as the worship team can come back up, God's view of his church is high. It's a high view. And our view of the church as Christians should also be the same. It should be high. God has revealed his glorious salvation to his people. He displays this salvation through his people to the heavenly beings. This is a wondrous thing. Again, what God is doing, what he has done, and what he continues to do is no small thing. Not boring. It's thrilling. It's exciting. If you're not a part of that, get a part of that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for, yeah, Lord, your word. We thank you for uh, what you are up to, what you have done uh, by, by taking a people who was once not your people and making them your people. And so that this people here and around the world would be a billboard of your manifold wisdom to all in the world and to the heavenly beings. God, I pray for, for any of us in the room who, who 
know you, but again, who, yeah, who, who have struggled to see the purpose of the church or struggle for whatever reason, whether pandemic or church hurt or whatever the case may be. Lord, I pray that you would give them, give us all fresh lenses. Give us a fresh view of who you are and what you're doing and how we are a part of that and how we don't deserve to be a part of that. But you chose us. You made us your own. You've put us on this track to make much of you and to worship you. God, for anyone in the room who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would prick their heart. I pray, God, that you would soften their heart, that you would give them a heart of flesh, remove the heart of stone, and put your spirit in them and cause them to walk in your ways. Cause them to see your ways as beautiful, as wondrous, as amazing. That there's no better way, there's no better place to be than in you and with you. That the world has no hope. But that in Christ we can find our hope. I pray, God, that you will reveal yourself to them in that way. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would yeah, mold and shape us, grow us in all the ways that you deem fit. In Jesus' name, amen.